You are listening to a podcast from Riverview Church in Bonace, recorded during one of our Sunday gatherings. For more information about Riverview Church, for service times or contact details, go to riverviewchurch.uk or find us on Facebook at Riverview Bonace. It's such a privilege to bring God's word to you this morning. And in many respects, the word that the Lord has placed in my heart to bring to you today Um, just builds on and extends the word that Andrew brought last week. We didn't plan it that way, uh, but it should be no surprise because uh, God is in control and he he was inspiring both of us. So if you haven't heard Andrew's message, then I would encourage you to go and listen to it on the podcast. When I was asked to uh, prepare the message for today, I had no idea what I would speak on. So I prayed and I asked God to reveal to me what he wanted me to speak on. And that night he gave me a dream. And in the dream, I was on a journey. I was walking and I was walking towards two large houses on a hill. And it was a lovely idyllic scene. There were no other buildings around. It was in the open countryside. And as I got closer to these two houses, I noticed that the only way to access them was through a narrow gate and then along a straight path. So I went through the gate and onto the path and the path was perfectly straight and it was smooth, it was narrow, it was beautifully paved. So I walked along this path to the first house and I saw that the first house was called Faith. And so I thought, oh, okay, interesting, but the door was open and it was very welcoming, so I went in. And inside that house were lots of people who were going about their lives joyfully, living in fellowship and community. It was a a wonderful ambience in there. So I came out of the house called Faith and then went to the second house, which was called Hope. And it was very similar to the first house. The door was open, I went in, and it was filled with people who were joyfully going about their lives, living together in community and fellowship. And then I woke up. And immediately the verse from 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 13 came to me, which is, and these three remain, faith, hope, and love. But the greatest of these is love. And so I said to God, well, where is love? And the answer didn't come back immediately, but gradually I felt the Lord was saying to me, I want you to find out the answer yourself. I will be with you. I will be with you as you seek, but go and seek the answer. And that's what I want you to speak on. And so I've titled this, uh, this sermon, this message, Faith, Hope, and Love, and we'll be drawing on 1 Corinthians chapter 13. Before I start, though, and, and there will be two messages, so two key messages. There's a secondary message and a primary message, which I'll share right at the end. But before we, we go on uh, into Corinthians, I feel that it's important just to say something about love. And the English word love is not very helpful. In the one breath, we can say God loves you. And in the next breath, we can say, I love pizza. Now, clearly, we mean something different, right? They are different. But biblical scholars use four different Greek words to describe the four different types of love in the Bible. And many of you will have come across these words before, so forgive me if I'm you know, teaching you something that you already know. But I'll take them in turn. And the first one is agape. And agape is perfect, divine, sacrificial, unconditional, eternal love. It is the highest form of love that there is. And in 1 John 4, uh, verse 16, we read, God is love, that's agape love. And whoever lives in love lives in God, and God lives in them. 
And in fact, the word uh, agape is used in 1 Corinthians 13 when Paul is, as we'll see later, is uh, describing what love is and isn't. He uses the word agape or the word agape is used in the Bible. And Jesus' entire life models agape love. And in fact, the, the verse, John 3:16, which is well known to everyone, really encapsulates what agape love is. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but shall have eternal life. And Jesus' entire life modeled agape love. He, he submitted to the will of the Father. He said, your will be done, not my will. He poured out his life for others um, throughout his life and his death. So agape love is, is not an emotion, it's not a feeling, it's a choice. It's a choice which willingly suffers pain, difficulty, hardship, even death for the benefit of someone else without expecting anything in return. So that's agape. The next one is storge, which some of you may not have heard before, but storge is, is the natural love, the deep bond which exists between blood family members, so between parents and their children or between siblings. And while the Bible doesn't actually use the word storge, it uses its contrary term, which is astorgus. Um, and in, in 2 Timothy uh, chapter 3, uh, verse 3, uh, Paul is warning Timothy about the end times, which are now, by the way. And in the end times, he's saying people will be so selfish and so proud and so uh, filled with evil that they will be astorgus, they will be without love, without even the natural love that exists between parents and their children. And examples in the Bible of, of storge love would be, Laz uh, would be um, Jairus for his daughter. Um, he, he put himself at risk. Uh, his reputation in the synagogue to, to humble himself before Jesus to ask him to heal his daughter. And Martha and Mary, uh, they exhibited storge love for their brother Lazarus when he was sick and, uh, and, and died. And examples of astorgus or a lack of uh, storge love would be uh, Cain who murdered his brother Abel and Joseph's brothers who you know, had in mind to kill him uh, but in the end uh, sold him into slavery and told their parents that he'd been torn to shreds by a wild animal. So the next one is um, filio, filio love, which is the most common form of love in the Bible. And filial love is, is like storge, so it's like the natural family love that you have, but it's between friends, so it's a friend's love. But in the Bible, it goes much deeper than that. It goes beyond that. Um, and Jesus said that, um, uh, so he said that he, in John 15, verse 15, that uh, he no longer calls us servants, he calls us his friends because everything that he has learned from the Father, he's made known to them, to us. And, and also in Mark 3, uh, verse 35, he says that whoever does the will of God is, is, um, is his brother or sister or mother. And so you can see how this is kind of merging. The, the filial love is, is like the love of um, blood relatives, but actually it's, it's us being brought into the family of heaven, into the kingdom of heaven, through, through the love of, through the, excuse me, through the blood of Jesus. So that is 
that's uh, filial love. And the last one, um, just going through this very quickly, is eros love. And again, while the Bible doesn't speak about eros love, um, it doesn't mention the word eros, um, the, the Song of Solomon is, um, is all about eros love, which is romantic sexual love between married couples. Um, and um, uh, it's clear from that that God intends uh, husbands and wives to, to love each other both physically and emotionally. It's the way in which the human race is, is propagated. Um, but unlike all of the other forms of love, eros has boundaries. And outside of those boundaries which are given by God, it is sexual immorality, which is, uh, which is made very clear in, in the scriptures. I haven't got time to go into all of that now. So eros is the only form of love which has boundaries, but it's also not eternal. And it's clear that agape is eternal, and we'll see that later, but eros isn't eternal. And Jesus makes that clear when he says that when the dead are raised, they will neither marry nor be given in marriage, but will be like the angels in heaven. So eros is a gift of God for now. Um, but the reason why I've gone through this in some, in some detail is because it's important to understand the love and the distinction in the love that we're talking about in the Bible. And you may be thinking, right, well, where is the love of pizza in the Bible? Well, <laughs> you've probably guessed that that isn't love at all, but that is just a misuse of the word love for like. <laughs> but it does, it does raise an interesting point, <laughs> and that is... I'm, I'm not even sure if pizza had been uh, invented by, the, by then. It probably had, some form had, probably. But, um, but the, 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 the important point, I think, to draw out here is that the world does tend to focus on eros love and often eros love outside of its natural boundaries, whereas the Bible focuses on agape and filio love. And everything that I'm going to be saying going on from here is all about agape and filio love. So uh, we'll go on to 1 Corinthians chapter 13. I'm going to take this quite quickly again into four chunks. Uh, so the words will appear on the screen. Um, I'm not actually going to read the words because you can, you can read them there. But there's just a couple of points that I want to draw out um, for each of these four sections of uh, 1 Corinthians uh, chapter 13. And uh, probably a little bit of context here is that um, Paul was writing to the church in Corinth because a number of problems had been identified. And he was, um, he was identifying those problems and, and trying to correct. He, his heart was to, in love, correct the, uh, the, the wrong understanding that the, the people in the church in Corinth had. Um, and, and he does this in a, in a very gentle way. So in in uh, chapter 13, which we're focusing on today, the problem that he'd identified was one of uh, disorder in their weekly gatherings. And so he was, he was making it clear that God gives us gifts. He gives us gifts of speaking in tongues and prophecy and faith and knowledge and generosity. So he gives us these gifts, and these are great. These are really, really good gifts. But they are intended to be used for others and to build up the church. And what was happening in Corinth is that people who'd been given these gifts were using them for their own status, to show how super spiritual they were and how great they were. But it meant that the meetings were descending into chaos. It meant that the people who were there in the meetings weren't able to worship and sing and learn and pray. And, and people who were coming in weren't able to hear the gospel. So Paul calls this out. And um, I'm just going to use one example, which is the, the gift of generosity. And so Paul makes it clear that 
um, it is possible to, uh, to be the most generous person in the world. I mean, like, the world loves a philanthropist, right? But he was saying that you can be really generous, but if you have love, it's all for nothing. If your motivation is to make yourself look good rather than really to help the person that you're giving to, then it's all for nothing. And in fact, Jesus, Jesus said this in Matthew 6, that you know, don't let your left hand know what your right is doing. And so, so Paul is just calling this out and saying that the motivation of the heart, the motivation of everything that we do has to be love. So the next section, which is uh, verses four through to seven, uh, Paul describes what love is and what love isn't. So I've just got two points on this. So for example, he says, love is patient, love is kind. And he says, what does he say that love is not? He says, love is not proud, love is not self-seeking. And now if we just pause for a moment there and think, you know, if, if I was to ask you, what would be the opposite of love? What would you naturally say? You might say hate, mightn't you? But, but actually, Paul is making it clear here that the opposite of love is pride. And why is that? Why is that? Because love is always others-centered, whereas pride is self-centered. And that's the acid test. The acid test of whether you're doing something in love is whether it's other-centered or self-centered. So this, the second point that I just want to bring out on here is verse six. And verse six, it's right in the middle of this chapter. And um, uh, I think it's so powerful as well. It, it basically says, love rejoices with truth. And how easy is it for us to avoid telling the truth? You know, we might justify it for very good reasons. We might say, oh, you know, if I tell that person the truth, you know, it might, um, might lead to an argument, um, it might offend them, might upset them, but actually love rejoices with the truth. And I, I, I don't care to, uh, to, to confess how many times the Holy Spirit pulls me up on, on something, you know, it almost seems on a daily basis that I'd be thinking something or doing something or saying something, you know, just even thinking something at work and the Holy Spirit just pulls me up and I just think, I have to check myself and, and I think, yes, I'm sorry, Lord. Yeah, um, you're right. The Holy Spirit, if we, if we submit ourselves to God, the Holy Spirit will always be truthful. It's uncomfortable, it's uncomfortable, let's face it, but the Holy Spirit will always rejoice in the truth. And I think that's such an important message for us today. Okay, the, the third passage, which is, um, uh, which, which is uh, going on from, I think it's verses eight through to 12, uh, just one key message here, and actually this, this um, builds on, I think, what the, 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 the message that was brought earlier, earlier in the service, I think, is it, is it Isabel, um, that you brought? And, and that is, so Paul uses some lovely colorful language, uh, but he's basically saying one thing, and that's love is eternal. Love never fails. And we can, we can put our entire trust and hope in love. So that's the one message in that passage. Love never fails. It is eternal. And then finally, we come to verse 13, which is where this all started, um, which is, uh, and these three remain, faith, hope, and love. But the greatest of these is love. There's such an interesting interplay between faith, hope, and love. 
there's so much to say on this, but just a couple of things. One is Hebrews 11, verse 1, which is, you know, faith is confidence in what we hope for and assurance of what we do not yet see. So faith in what? Faith in God. What is God? God is love. So faith in God, in his love, gives us hope. And for me, the the most beautiful example of this in the scriptures is in the book of Lamentations. And Jeremiah is the prophet. He wrote two books. The first one was called Jeremiah, not surprisingly. And the second one is the book of Lamentations. And in the first book, in in the book of Jeremiah, the prophet is uh, prophesying about the fall of the holy city of Jerusalem because the people will, you know, the people are turning, turning away from God. And as a consequence of that, the city will be defeated and the people will take, be taken into captivity. And in the second book, in Lamentations, Jeremiah is looking back on that same event and he is in tears. In fact, Jeremiah is known as the weeping prophet and Lamentations is known as the book of tears. And the first two and a half chapters, he is downcast. He is distraught. His, his soul is really, really rock bottom. He has no hope. He is, he's bawling his eyes out. He's not crying for himself. This is not a self-centered love. He's crying for uh, the state of Jerusalem and God's people. And then everything changes. Verse 21, chapter 3. Everything changes on one verse. And after that, everything is different. Everything is light and, and full of hope. And, and that one verse, that one verse is Jeremiah says, and this I call to mind, and therefore I have hope. What does he call to mind? He calls to mind God's love. God's love. God's compassions, which are new every day. God's faithfulness. So he remembers who God is, his love, his eternity his power, his, his promises, his character. So he has faith in God, who he is, and therefore he has hope. Okay, so what about the dream? Well, in the dream, the two houses, faith and hope, where is love? Well, I think clearly, um, you know, as we, as we started with 1 John chapter 4, God is love, and he lives within those who... Um, you know, who, uh, who, who follow him and, and love him. So, and, and love cannot be contained in, in houses. Love is, well, do I, dare I say it? Love is all around. Is there a song? <laughs> <laughs> but God is love. And so, so, so the, there isn't a house called love. Um, but the important thing is that those two houses, faith and hope, will pass away. You know, when, when the dead are raised, when, when you know, we, we, we are worshipping, when we are face to face with our Lord in eternity, there will be no more need for faith and hope because, you know, our, what we hope for will be there in front of us. But love remains. Love is eternal. So this comes to the two final messages. I'm, I'm just wrapping up now. And... Um, the first, one, the first one is a secondary message, but it's very important. And I do believe, and this is kind of building on what Andrew was saying last week about resolve. Um, I do believe that, the, that God wants us to check in with him to do a spiritual MOT. Um, it's a good thing to do at the beginning of the year anyway. Uh, it's maybe not something that we necessarily want to do because it could be painful, as we've heard. Um, But I do believe that he's calling us, he's inviting us to check in with him and do a spiritual MOT. And I thought, well, I can't say that to you without doing it myself. So so I did it myself. um, 
And this is kind of how it went. Uh, so, so first of all, there's a couple of things that, uh, that, that I'm involved in and I just wanted to check in with the Lord on. One is that I serve in kids' church. And, um, and I just wanted to check in, the, in with the Lord. I said, Lord, you know, is the motivation of my heart that I want to draw the kids into your presence? You know, I want to help them to develop their own personal relationship with Jesus, their Lord and Savior. Is it that I want them to fulfill the purpose that God has for them? So that was my question there. And, and in, in terms of preaching and standing up and speaking to you, you know, I feel that God has called me to do this and he's equipped me to do it. But what's the motivation of my heart? Is the motivation of my heart to share what God has given me to carry, to share with you? Or is it for some other selfish reason? And initially, I came before the Lord and I thought, yeah, okay, I've checked in for this spiritual MIT. I think it's okay, Lord. I think it's pretty good. Yeah, I think I've probably passed. That's okay. That's good. That's good. That was, that was easy. And then I felt the Lord say, Graham. <laughs> Graham, just stay a moment longer. Stay a moment longer. And I thought, oh, no, this is not good. This is not good. And then a couple of advisory notes came down, you know. <laughs> You know what I mean? I normally ignore them. You know, if I take my car in for an MOT, those advisory notes, I think they can wait till next year. Don't do that with God's advisory notes. <laughs> They're there to save you a lot of pain and suffering. So I stayed there a bit longer and a couple of advisory notes came down. I thought, yeah, that's true, Lord. And he says, Graham, just stay with me a bit longer. And so I did. And, um, and I, I just started to surrender at that point. I realized that work needed to be done in my heart. I said, Lord, Lord, I'm sorry. Please work on my heart. And he said, just stay a little bit longer. And then I submitted fully and I realized that actually I needed major work on my heart. And I just prayed, Lord, just renew my heart within me. Just restore my heart, Lord. Just burn away everything that's not of you. Oh, Lord, I just pray that your will be done. It's hard doing a spiritual MOT. It's like going to the dentist. I mean, no one likes going to the dentist, do they? But you know it's necessary. You know it's going to be uncomfortable. You know it's going to be painful. But you're perhaps not as broken as me. And maybe you'll only, you'll only get away with a couple of advisory notes. But I do believe that God wants each of us just to check in with him. Just check in with him, as, as was said earlier. It's really hard to say, search my heart, Lord. Um, but if you do that in humility, the Lord will respond. And he'll reveal to you things that are for your good. Because love rejoices in truth. So that was the first point. The second point is much more kind of upbeat. <laughs> and I believe that through this dream, there was, a, there was a direct link in this dream. And just you know, reflecting on the dream, there's some imagery there which is, which is obvious, I think. But the Lord is encouraging all of us to go through that narrow gate, which is Jesus. And to walk along that straight, narrow path. Which, as we heard last week, um, Proverbs 3, verse, uh, Proverbs 3, was it, uh, verses 5 and 6, Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge Him or submit to Him, and He will make your path straight. 
I feel the Lord is just saying, trust me, you know, lean on me, not on your own understanding. Walk along that straight path that I've prepared just for you and go to that place, dwell in that place of faith and hope, trusting in me and my love. And I believe that that's what God is saying. And there's a, there's a couple of, a couple of like pictures which come to mind. You know, I was thinking, well, you know, this is a really nice, cozy vision, this dream. But what does it mean in practice? And I thought that the first thing that came to mind was warm space. Uh, I don't know, maybe not all of you know, but uh, a new initiative has been set up in the church. So on a Tuesday lunchtime, um, a, a number of volunteers will come here and they will, they will use their gifts to serve each other. They'll prepare food and tea and coffee and uh, they'll live in fellowship and love with each other. And it's a place where we can invite people in the community to come and fellowship with us and receive food and drink. And I just want to encourage you. I feel that the Lord is saying, that's wonderful. Well done, good and faithful servant. He's just so delights in what you're saying there. And Susan, earlier uh, this week on Friday, she posted 1 Thessalonians 1 in the, in the chat on Friday, which is about Paul just giving thanks and praying for those who, um, who out, of, you know, out, of, uh, out of love, prompted by love and, and, um, and faith, they are serving others. And so I just feel that I felt that that was a, an affirmation that this is the message that God wanted us to hear today. So I'll just finish again with um, uh, th that verse. For these three remain, faith, hope, and love. But the greatest of these is love. And this is agape love. This is filial love. And how do we know if it's love? Because it's always other-centered. And that, my friends... Brothers and sisters, is what I believe our Heavenly Father wanted to say to us, to you and me, today.